today we're reading from the book of Ephesians in the Blue Church Bible. Um, you'll find it on page 1667. And we're looking at chapter 4, verse 1 to 16. So page 1667 in the Blue Church Bible. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have, been, you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who had descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be, in, be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every kind of wind of teaching by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking in truth, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love and as each part does its work. Friends, keep your Bibles open there. We're going to work our way through Ephesians 4 together. Um, and I'm going to pray for us, that God might help us to hear his word. Let's pray. Father, this morning uh, we ask that we might hear you speak through your word about the body of the Lord Jesus, about your people, the church, so that we might know clearly what we're doing here, and why it matters. Father, please speak to us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you uh, have ever gone into a room and uh, as you pass through the doorway, you've forgotten exactly why you've gone there. Have you ever had that? So you go from the lounge room and you make your way to the kitchen to make a cup of tea and somewhere between the, the couch and the kitchen counter, you forget why, what you were doing and so you just find yourself standing, staring in the middle of the kitchen at the, the kettle. You've had that experience, I've had that experience. If that describes you, I've got some good news for you. Scientists know what it is. It's called the doorway effect. 
Um, here's what I read in the news this week. The situation of having walked into a room only to forget why you did so is familiar to many people. However, it was brought to prominence in a study by researchers from the University of Notre Dame in the United States. It was concluded that the act of passing through the doorway caused the brain to refresh and dump its current memories because they were less likely to be relevant in the new room. And then the article went on to talk about how Bond University has taken that further and they found that it's any change in context. Anyway, if that has been causing you concern, there you go, I have a diagnosis for you. It's the doorway effect, okay? That's what it is. Um, I mentioned the doorway effect this morning because I wonder if we can have that as we pass through the doors that we all came in this morning, the doors of church. Possible, I think, it is to come to church and to not remember why you're there or why this matters. Why are you here today? What have you come for? why are we doing this? It's good to be clear about why we're doing this, I think, because there's lots of reasons for us not to be here. I mean, first, there's just the, the, the sheer effort of church. There's actually a whole lot of effort that goes into three church services. There's actually going to be about 100 people who volunteered to make church happen today, right, across the three services. That's a lot of effort. Then there's the reality of church when we get there. I come to church and it just isn't that enjoyable. It doesn't give us the spiritual up uplift. There are times, if I'm being completely honest with you, I'm the minister, but I'm sitting there going, do I want to go to church today? And then it can be hard because of the people, um, if we're entirely honest. The people at church can be difficult. Sometimes that five-minute greeting time can seem like an eternity because you don't know what you're supposed to say to that strange person sitting next to you. Why are we here? What are we doing here this morning? Now, in this passage, Paul gives us this deep and rich and profoundly beautiful picture of what the church is and what she does and why she matters. Now, in chapter 4... Paul continues this thought that he started about the church, not the institution, by the way, but the body of believers, the Christians that make up this thing called church. And there are things that mark out the church. There are things that Paul says the church is there for, that things that if we forget them, things do fall apart. Here's the first one, uh, unity. Um, just as um, Renato said before, we, we are actually united together. We're called together to be united in this deep and profound way. Have a look with me at verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3 of Ephesians 4. Paul calls on the Ephesian church to work hard at Christian unity. Actually, he pleads with them in verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then he goes on, verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Uh, if you're sitting there thinking, I wonder what was going on in the Ephesian church, remember that the Ephesian church was made up of Jewish believers, but also non-Jewish or Gentile believers. And that meant that right down the middle of their church family ran this kind of ethnic fault line, right? And we have writings from the first century where Jewish authors 
uh, tell their readers not to help a Gentile woman in labour because she'd just be bringing another Gentile into the world, right? We've got writings like that. And it wasn't always one-way traffic. There was hostility and discrimination from Romans and Gentiles to Jews. So cast your mind back to their church. Can you imagine what a church gathering in Ephesus would have been like with people who, under normal circumstances, didn't spend time with each other, right? I can imagine there was a little bit of tension, Uh, maybe misunderstandings, maybe even heated arguments. And that's why Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Uh, I want you to notice something that's there in verse 3 that's, I think, kind of significant. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. He doesn't say make every effort to become united, but to keep it, to maintain it. There's a, a really simple and profound point here. Christian unity is not something that we make. It's actually a gift that we're given when God gives us his spirit and we become Christians. You see, when we become Christians, we're united to the Lord Jesus by his spirit. God pours his spirit into our hearts so that we're united to Jesus and by virtue of that, we're also united to our brothers and sisters in Christ by the spirit. As the spirit binds us to Jesus and we're united to him, we're united to each other. Jesus' church is part of the package deal. Um, I think maybe the best illustration for this is it's kind of like getting married. Uh, When you get married, you get to be with your spouse. You get her, she becomes yours, and you get all her relatives as well, right? That's thrown in there. So it is with Jesus. When you're united to Jesus, his people are part of the deal. Um, Actually, I don't think calling us in-laws, though, gets quite how deeply we're connected to each other. Our church family is now, by the Spirit, deeply united to us. Brothers and sisters. And there in verse 4 and following, Paul blurts out this stream of things that are a part of that. We're part of one body, one Spirit, and we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There are just so many things, Paul says, that bind us together, that hold us together. Because we're united by God's Spirit into one body. Now, even though that's what God has made by His Spirit, uh, we all know that it is hard to keep the unity of the Spirit, isn't it? Um, I asked Emma's dad once how his church was going, and he told me a little bit about the politics of his church. They had a catering committee at their church, which for some reason or another had become incredibly powerful. And the catering committee was waging war on the members of the committee of management. Uh, Bringing in the law had been casually dropped into a conversation over morning tea at church. And the issue that was so crucial to the life of the church, it was going to divide them over. Do you know what it was? This is really happened. Replacing the teaspoons in the church hall. I'm not kidding you. I wish I was. But this is why Paul puts this in his letter. It is hard to hold people together. It's why Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, because it's hard. Church people can be really hard to deal with. 
Now, friends, I've got to say, we are blessed here. There are no major conflicts. It's wonderful. That's great. But conflicts are bound to happen. We're all going to say things and do things that are likely to upset, hurt and offend one another. And if I haven't offended you yet, I'm getting to you. Not everything that happens or every word that's said or every decision that's made here you're going to like or agree with. But here is the thing. In a deep and profound way, you are my brothers and sisters. We're bound to each other by God's spirit. United to each other. It's what we've been made for. My prayer for our church is that we are a church that lives this. That we make every effort to keep the unity that is ours in God's spirit. This is the first thing that marks out the church, uh, unity. Uh, secondly, diversity. That's where the passage now heads. Uh, God has, through his son Jesus, given us this great diversity of different gifts that are given for the sake of his church. Now, Paul starts this little section of the text by talking about the victory of Jesus. That's there in verse 8. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Um, I want you to notice that he's quoting something there. He's actually quoting a psalm, Psalm 68. Uh, psalm 68 is this kind of victory psalm about God's victory when he took his people Israel, brought them out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. It's this psalm of God's great victory and Paul grabs that psalm and he uses it to talk about Jesus' victory. Jesus, you see, defeated sin and death. And then he was raised to the right hand of God. So listen to verse 9. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended, higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. Jesus is this conquering king who descended to earth. He won our salvation and then he ascended to be higher than all the heavens. That is quite a crescendo, don't you think? This is big, grand, victorious language. And the reigning, conquering King Jesus, as the victor, he gives gifts to his church. So verse 11, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Notice Jesus, the, the conquering king, his gifts to his church. He gives people. People. Uh, people who, as you read through the list, they've got gifts of speaking and te teaching. Gifts of speaking the word about Jesus, like the apostles, Paul and Peter. Right through to evangelists who tell us the gospel. Or pastors who shepherd a flock, usually by teaching. All the gifts that Jesus gives his church are people who speak the word of truth. But I want you to notice one more thing before we apply this. Notice what it says at the end of verse 11. God's given the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Did you notice what it said there in verse 12? Pastors and teachers... Equip God's people so that we are all engaged in works of service to build the body. Um, I want you to notice this really simple but I think important point. 
Ministry is not something that you should leave to the professionals. Ministry is actually for all of us. Every one of us is engaged in the work of building the body. We're engaged in the work of seeing others grow through all kinds of service. This is what Jesus' victory has won. But did you think that was a bit of a letdown? I mean, the way that the section started with the, the victory of the risen and ascended Lord Jesus, so victorious that he fills all the universe, and then Paul says, and so Christ has given us ministers and rosters. Did that seem like a little bit of a disappointment to you? And you might be sitting there thinking, hey, Paul, go back to the other stuff about filling the universe. You're onto a winner there. But friends, I wonder if that says something about our perception of what is happening at church. It's not just a roster or a job or a role or a thing that has to happen so that we can keep the doors open. What this passage is saying is that as God's people serve, we're seeing the working out of the victory of Jesus. It's through the use of the gifts that God has given his people and the service that people do that Jesus' victory, where he fills all the universe, it's being worked out in the body of Jesus. Um, friends, this past year, we have seen people come to know Jesus. They've moved from darkness to light. That's the victory of Jesus, isn't it? We've seen people grow in their faith. Children at, at Sunday school have learned something new about Jesus and maybe even quietly one of them put their trust in Jesus. Every time that happens, that is a little moment where we catch a glimpse of the victory of the Lord Jesus, it's being worked out in church. Now, I get that volunteering for the car park doesn't feel very victorious, but that's what it's a part of, the victory of the Lord Jesus. Which leads us to the last section of this passage. Um, we've seen how we're meant to be united and we're given a diversity of gifts and all of that is so that the body of the Lord Jesus might grow us to maturity, might grow, pardon me, to maturity. Come to verse 13. We use our gifts, Paul says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. What this passage is saying, it's using this kind of, I think, an unusual metaphor. It's telling us we're like, kind of like little babies or kids at the beach when we're young. Everything throws us. Um, years ago, when Toby is much smaller than he is now, I took him for a swim in the surf. Uh, you know, the great... Uh, write a passage for all Australian kids and we were there you know I was trying to teach him how to swim in the surf and I, I'm generally on top of these things but I did lose him for a moment as an enormous wave came through and Toby was absolutely monstered he disappeared under this mass of white foam I had no idea where he was I, I was sitting there thinking what am I going to tell Emma anyway he reappeared <laughs> reappears a few seconds later popping up to say that was awesome, can we do that again? <laughs> um, here's my point, when you are little, every wave throws you, every wave tips you over. And you need to grow up so that you can face the waves. 
When we're young as Christians, every time we Google something on the internet, we can feel unsettled. Or maybe when Christians let you down, you can feel overwhelmed. Or when you face some hardship in life, it can just throw you. And what we need is to grow and be matured. And how does that happen? Paul says it happens as your brothers and sisters speak the truth to you. See that in verse 15? As other Christians speak the truth in love, you grow. Now, speaking the truth in love is often taken to mean that uh, you have to be really truthful and yet kind with the things that you say. So when someone asks you a tricky question like, do I look fat in this? Uh, If you're speaking the truth in love, you have to speak truthfully and yet lovingly. I don't think that's actually the focus of this verse. If you have a look a little further on in verse 21, you'll see that the truth that is the focus of what Paul is talking about is the truth about Jesus. Do you notice that in verse 21? It's as brothers and sisters lovingly speak the truth about Jesus to us that we grow. As brothers and sisters tell us things that are true about him, as they tell us the truth in love, we grow. And here's the thing about this growth, it is not an individual experience, this growth happens together as brothers and sisters do this for us. Verse 16, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Isn't that a picture of this organic spiritual whole? The body of Jesus as a whole, it grows, it builds itself up as each part does its work. All of us, bound to Jesus and to each other, we grow up together. We're slowly being made into this new reality that is ours in Jesus. Now, sometimes I hear people say that they have um, a good Christian podcast or a set of Christian books or they've been to a conference recently and that's what they need to grow and let me just say, no, no, no. It's not what this passage is telling us. This, This part of God's word is telling us that we need brothers and sisters. We need them. Now, I think this is a shot across the bow for all of us recovering individualists Because Paul is saying to us, you can't grow by yourself, you grow with others. Christianity is a team sport. We need each other. Friends, it has been good to hear of who we are as a church and what church does and what it's for. It's good to be reminded of that so that when we walk through the doors, we know what it is that we're here for. So so next week, as you come through the doorway, what, what things should we be coming to do Well, first, I want to encourage you, come to give. You are, Paul says, part of the way that people grow. As you speak the truth in love to them, that is how people grow. We desperately need each other. We need people ready to speak the truth in love so that the person sitting next to us at church or the person in our growth group or the person you're going to talk to over morning tea so that they might grow. And I think your experience of church will be far richer and deeper if you come and and do that. You come to love and serve and speak the truth when needed. So that's first, come to receive, uh, come to, to give. And then second, come to receive. 
Uh, I am not against uh, receiving at church, getting something out of us. Of course we need to receive and get something out of church. Actually, this passage tells us that Jesus has given us a means for our growth and maturity. It's the church, it's the people of God. When we come to church, when we receive from Jesus what we need to grow, we do it through the church. He has made our spiritual life work so that we need each other. We cannot do it by ourselves. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Come to church hungry for his word. Hungry to receive. Now you may have noticed that I'm not a Pentecostal. I'm a Presbyterian. And I'll be honest with you and say that there are some things that I might disagree with in Pentecostal theology but one thing my Pentecostal brothers and sisters get absolutely right is that when they come to church, they come expectant that God is going to be at work. Because in the mundane routine of church life, as church just does its thing, God is at work. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do ask and pray that we might come to give, to, to serve, to speak the truth in love as it's needed. And Father, also that we might come to receive what you have ordained, that our growth is with brothers and sisters. Father, we pray that you might be at work in our church family by your spirit. Pray it in Jesus' name.